Would you take your scriptures and turn with me to Luke 15? Luke 15, we'll be reading verses 11 through 32. Luke 15, 11 through 32. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and journeyed himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and not to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has, re- he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatty calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your living livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, You're always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. May God give his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word this morning to learn more about you and this wonderful gospel you have given us in your Son. You told the Israelites in the very beginning, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Help us this day to take the truths of your word and fix them in our hearts. Give us ears with which to hear and hearts with which to understand. Write upon our hearts the commandments of your word. Help us to apply them in our lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Christianity 
is a religion that promotes grace as its foundation. Grace is unmerited favor. It shows that anything we receive from God comes because of his own desire to give us and not because of any worth found in our own hearts or lives. This is a very important concept. It is something we need to learn more about. So, let's look at this passage and see what we can learn about grace from this parable. This parable is one of the best passages to show the one who provides grace. It also shows the results of your union with him in his grace. The theme of this parable is the father's yearning love for the lost. I titled this message, A Father and Two Sons. There are four things to consider in this study. The first is the father. The second is the younger son. Third, the younger son's return. And fourth, the older son's attitude. In the first part of this parable, we learn of the three characters, the father and his two sons. Verse 11. Then he said a certain man had two sons. Our first purpose is to understand the father and then the younger son. Then we will examine the attitude of the elder son. In looking at this passage, you must first consider what Jesus is revealing. The theme of this parable, as we have already said, is the father's yearning love for the lost. With this understanding of the theme, we can readily see that the father in the parable is representative of our heavenly father. Jesus tells us about a man who had two sons. The younger of these two sons decides he wants to get away from his father. He doesn't like the strict regimen of his father's house. So he speaks to his father about his inheritance. In verse 12, the son says, Father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. So he, the father, divided to them his livelihood. So the father splits his possessions and gives to each brother their share of his estate. He had planned to give them as, a, as an inheritance. What we see in this action by the father is an act of grace toward his younger son. Now, I know some would, agree, would never agree with that, but it was an act of grace. The father knew his son. He knew why his son wanted to go. He knew that to hold him back and not allow him to go at this time would make it harder on both of them later. So he gives his son all he wanted and with a broken heart watches his son leave. All any parent can do is teach their children the right path. The parent cannot walk that path for the child. God created Adam, created him in perfect righteousness, holiness, and knowledge. He placed him in the garden and gave him a rule to live by. God could have prevented Adam from eating of the fruit of that tree, but he did not. He allowed Adam to fall, to go his own way. And in the end, this is the very grounds of Jesus Christ coming into this world. The fall was the first step in the providing of God's most wonderful grace. The younger son has some lessons he needs to learn. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said... How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Though the son's own, through the son's own words, we learn something about his father. He was a good man. 
He took care, good care of his hired men. Understand, in the very near east, you didn't ordinarily go out and hire a worker for a year or two. You would go to the central location where the men wait and hire those you needed for one day. What this young man knows is that his father pays a fair wage to all he hires on a given day. He makes sure they have enough to meet their needs and a little more for good measure. He sees his father as a good man, as a man with a good heart. Is this not the way the all men should see the creator of our world? Does he not provide a way for all men to make a living and survive, even those who don't believe in him? We see this young man growing in his understanding of life. Look at verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Again, the son reveals to us the nature of the father. He believes that should he return to his father, even after this, the terrible way he left, his father will not turn his back on him. He knows his father is a man of mercy. He will not react in bitterness nor with harshness. God has provided a great plan of redemption. He sent Jesus Christ into this world to fulfill all required in the plan to redeem men from this terrible sinful estate they had plunged themselves into. He has shown himself to be merciful to all who will hear and believe. Also in verse 18, we see that the father is a forgiving man. Although the son hurt him deeply when he left, the son knows his father well. He knows that his father will deal kindly with him if he returns home. He certainly does not understand the depth of the father's forgiveness, but he knows that he will forgive. I think this is true with every one of us. We know our heavenly father will forgive. We just have a hard time accepting the depth of his forgiveness. We are told he will cast our sins into the sea of forgetfulness, that he will put them away from himself as far as the east is from the west. Jesus said he was going to prepare mansions for his followers. Many of us are not hearing his words. We still believe ours will just be a little shack out in the backyard of heaven. My friends, the heavenly father I serve washes away sins in the blood of Jesus Christ and never allows the guilt of that sin to stain you again. And if he says you will have a mansion, you will have a mansion. The son learned the truth about himself. Verse 19. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The son realized the hurt he had caused his father. He had gone against that which he had been taught, yet he still saw his father as a man that could be trusted. He knew his father would hear his request, that he would not leave his son to starve even though he deserved it. Is this not just like our Heavenly Father? Does he not constantly tell us that he has a place before us life and death? Does he not urgently Call us to hear and believe on the one he sent to save us. Yes, our Heavenly Father does not desire our deaths. But 
that all his children should be saved. This prodigal son knew he could trust in his in the compassion of his father, and you should know that you can trust in the compassion of your God. He is listening, and he will hear all, all who humbly call out to him, and he will save them. And in the same way, he will send to hell all who refuse to hear and believe. The son grows in courage and changes his direction. Verse 20. But he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Here. The son experiences that compassion in a way he never expected. This man saw his son coming from a long way off. Surely, ever since the son had left, he had been watching and waiting for this day. He saw his son, and he ran to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him. Our Heavenly Father is the Father of compassion as well. He saw Adam fall in the garden. He had to send him away because of his sin. But he began immediately preparing for his return. He told Eve, the Redeemer would come through her and would defeat Satan and restore all who trusted in him to fellowship. For every sinner that returns, the host of heaven cheer and celebrate the lost son's return. This father was also a loving man. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. He was not just pleased that his son was home, he was overjoyed. He knew when this son left, the danger he would be in. He knew the attitude had been all wrong. He understood the rebellion in his heart. But oh, how he loved this son. His heart was pained the whole time he was gone. How many times he lay awake at night thinking, maybe I should go look for him. But he didn't. Here we have a, to be very careful with our comparisons now. Our Heavenly Father is also a loving God. There are two things we must caution with. The first is taking the human qualities and fears of men and ascribing them to God. We are not allowed to do that. The second thing is forgetting that God is also a God of justice and wrath as well as love. Those who will not repent of their rebellion, they will be cast into hell for God's justice and wrath required. Just as this father would not go and search for his son, God will not refuse to judge those who do not repent. The son opens his heart. Verses 21 through 22. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and sandals on his feet. The son is home. He has been greeted by his father with love and compassion. Through the father's actions, we see that he is a man who is not ruled by self-interest. He does not jump on his son about how worried he's been. He does not use cheap words to pile guilt on his son. His interest lies in welcoming his son home. In seeing to the needs of his son. He provides a robe for his back, a ring for his finger, and sandals for his feet. 
Our Heavenly Father has not been ruled by self-interest either. He looked upon the plight of mankind. The plight that man chose for himself. He looked and had compassion in putting aside his own self-interest. He sent his only beloved son to die and suffer the torments of hell that all who would believe on him might be saved and welcomed home in him. The father shows his love for his son. Verse 23. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. The father also provides food for his son and a celebration. A celebration that all might share in his great joy. His son has come home safely. He does not spare the expense either. He brings out the best for his joy is great. It is said that as we enter heaven, our heavenly father will have the banquet ready. That the celebration will be great. That all of heaven will join in as our heavenly father celebrates the homecoming of his people. For we shall forever be with him and he shall be our God and we shall be his people and his joy shall be great. We also shall examine the younger son in this parable. The son has two different sides. We first see him as a very selfish man and then as a very repentant man. If you examine your own life, you should find these same two things to be true of yourself. First, that you were a very self-centered and self-pleasing person until God opened your heart to show you yourself and to show you his grace and mercy. Second, once you saw the blackness of your own heart and the glory of God's gracious gift, you became a very repentant person. Let's look at this son and see what he is. Verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. This young man was greedy. It is expected by polite society that a son will wait for his inheritance until his father's death. This man was too greedy to wait. He was ready to go, ready to spend it all on himself. He was not concerned with his father's feelings. All that mattered to him was his own wants and desires. What does he do with his inheritance? Verse 13. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. His father agreed to give him what he asked. It took a very short time for the son to gather the courage to take what he was given and leave. He was not just going into town, but to a distant country. He wanted to be free from any interference from his father. He knew as he left what he was going to do, and he knew his father would disapprove, so he wanted to get as far away as possible. This man was totally absorbed in his own wants and desires. He had no concern for anyone else but himself. Not only was he totally selfish in what he was doing, but was also being extremely foolish. He took what his father had worked years to accumulate and he spent it without care. He did every vile thing he had ever heard about. 
He spent that money as though it would last forever, but it did not. Because of this foolish behavior, he sank into the depths of despair. Verse 14. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. This man had impoverished himself by his foolish ways. But on top of that, God brought a famine on the land in which he was living. When times are good, it can be hard but not impossible for a poor man to exist. Times turned very hard in this case. And this man had no way whatsoever to provide for himself. He found himself in a state of great need. And he found he was totally incapable of meeting that need. What does all of this bring him to? Look at verse 15. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his field to feed swine. He hired himself out to a man in the country where he was living to feed pigs. To an Israelite, feeding pigs was a job that carried a curse. Pigs were considered unclean animals. The only one who cared for them was a cursed man, an unclean man. How quickly had this man gone from a place of honor in his father's house to a cursed beggar in a foreign land. Verse 16, And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. He had hired himself out but he was not even receiving a livable wage. He fed the pigs and watched as they ate the pods they were fed. These were most likely carob pods. It's where we get our chocolate substitute from. This man had been completely and thoroughly humiliated. Here he was watching the pigs eat, and he would have even joined them if permitted, but no one gave him anything. He went from honored son to unnoticed worthless scum in the eyes of others. He was as good as dead. Proverbs 21, 16 says, A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. That is exactly what has happened to this young man. He left the wise counsel of his father and followed his own way, and it has brought him to a living grave. Adam in the garden chose to follow his own way instead of the way of God. He was cast out of the garden. A flaming cherub was placed at his entrance so he could not return. He was cut off from God. God warned him. God warned him that should he disobey, he would surely die. Die he did. He died a spiritual death from which there was no hope of escape apart from the grace and mercy of God as expressed in Jesus Christ. From the depths of this desperate situation, this young man finds hope. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? He came to his senses. He came to see his absolute hopeless condition. Once he saw what he had done and what he had gotten, what it had gotten him, his whole perspective began changing. No, no one can come to Jesus Christ until they have seen their hopeless condition. You must first see that you're a sinner before you can see your need of a Savior. 
here in this parable, we see this man come to an understanding of the foul nature. And this is the point where the change begins. This young man sees the truth. Verse 18. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. He has seen his sin. And now he sees what he must do in order to make right his sin. He must return to his father and confess what he has done. There will be no salvation for the person who does not repent. Without repentance, there will be no forgiveness. Some will say if you have to repent to be forgiven, then salvation is of works. The scriptures do not agree with that. In Ephesians 2.10, we're told that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. One of those good works is repentance. In Acts 11.18, we're told God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. It is God who grants repentance unto life. Yes, repentance is a work, and it's given only by the grace of God. This son sees that grace alone can save him. Verse 19, And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. The son has seen his sin and has recognized his unworthy behavior. He has been humbled. There's no longer the pride and arrogance that caused him to fall into this estate, this sin first. He sees himself for what he really is, a sinner. He has come to the point, nothing matters now, but making right his life. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The gift of repentance always humbles. But once that humbling process is complete, it emboldens. You see yourself as worth nothing. You are no longer what is important. The important thing becomes doing what is right. This young man gets up and he starts for home. He's not sure how he will be received, but he knows this is the right thing to do. Verse 21. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. The father has run to meet his son threw his arms around him. He kissed him. The son has come with a purpose and he does not allow this wonderful show of affection to stop him. He opens his mouth and confesses his sin. He acknowledges his worthlessness. He has not come looking to return to his former status. He comes willing to accept whatever place the father sees as just and right. He throws himself on the mercy of his father. Father reacts with mercy and grace. Verse 24. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The father was waiting patiently for his son to return. He knew that only one thing was going to bring him home. Complete and utter despair. He also knew that when this happened, his son would come with a repentant heart. He says his son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
Paul in Ephesians 2 tells you that you too were dead in your transgressions and sins. Spiritually dead without hope until God who is rich in mercy made you alive with Christ even when you were dead in transgressions. What joy this brought this young man as he was regenerated, as he was made into a new creature. He went from a self-centered, self-pleasing man to a humble, self-examining man who recognized his need of divine guidance in living out this life. The next thing we need to consider is the return of this young man home. We can learn a lot about the father's love by how this young man is received. Verses 22 through 24. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatty calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The first thing we see is the father clothing the son in a robe. The father calls the servants and tells them to quickly bring the best robe and put it on him. When a man is drawn to Jesus Christ... He comes in the filthiness of his own righteousness. We see in Zechariah 3 what happens. The high priest Joshua is standing between the angel of the Lord, who is Christ, and Satan. The angel of the Lord rebukes Satan and declares that Joshua is a firebrand plucked from certain destruction, just as all men who are saved are so plucked. Zechariah 3, 4 says, He then, the angel of the Lord, answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, See, I have removed your iniquity from you, and I will clothe you with rich robes. When any man comes humbly recognizing his sin and Christ as his Savior, his filthy rags of self-righteousness are removed, and the rich garments of Christ's righteousness are given him. Then we see the Father give the Son a ring. In Genesis 41-42, Pharaoh takes off his ring and gives it to Joseph, thus identifying him as Pharaoh's man. God takes of his Holy Spirit. He places it upon all who hear and believe in the message and the one he sent with the message, thus identifying them as his. We then observe that the father calls for sandals for his son's feet. In the Near East, only free men wore sandals. It was the mark of a slave to go with bare feet. The father provides sandals for his son's feet that he might be known as a free man. According to Paul in Ephesians 6.15, all who follow Jesus Christ are shed with the gospel of peace. The only true freedom in this world is given by the son through his message of reconciliation to all who hear and believe on him. The father then honors the son by calling for the fatted calf to be slain. When the three visitors in Genesis 18 came to Abraham just before the destruction of Sodom, Abraham selected the, in verse 7 the choice calf to be slain and prepared to honor his son, his guest. God prepared the best he had to be slain, slain on your benefit even while you were dead in your sins and trespasses. He had him prepared and ready for you to partake of on your homecoming. We are clearly told in John 6, 53, 
Unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. All who are humbled by their sins and see their need of a Savior will find that the the Savior is Jesus Christ and will be given the honor of partaking in this glorious feast of Jesus Christ when you come to heaven. Christ is our feast. We're talking about the feast of the Lamb. That's Christ being offered to us for our eternal salvation. That's what we'll be partaking of when we get to heaven. Once the Father finished all the necessary things to establish the new identity of his Son, then the celebration began. The Father spared no expense. The Son was dead and is now alive. The Father is overjoyed and filled with pleasure. So it will be with every sinner that comes into Jesus Christ. All of heaven will join in the rejoicing. We come now to the other son and his attitude toward his father and his brother. Verses 25 through 27. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard much dancing and singing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Jesus wants you to understand that while the father welcomes back his penitent son, the other son rejects his brother. The older son comes to the house to the sound of a celebration. He doesn't know what's going on. He calls one of the servants to come and explain to him what's happening. The servant tells him that his brother has returned and his father is celebrating. Look at verses 28 through 30. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. The brother's reaction is anger. He refuses to go into the house. What does the father do? He graciously gets up and comes outside to speak with his older brother, the older son. Now remember, verse 12, where it said, So he divided to them his livelihood. They both received their inheritance. The older brother's inheritance is not under threat from his brother. Take close note of the brother's reaction to his father's pleading. I have slaved for you. This should tell you what this brother's attitude has been all these years. He did not do his work out of love for his father. No wonder he isn't happy. He goes on to proclaim that he never disobeyed his father's command. He shows that his whole life has been one of legalism and self-righteousness. He never understood that more than an outward obedience is required. He goes on to attack his father saying, you never gave me a calf. As the older son, two-thirds of the estate of his father was his. His father had never denied him anything that that he needed, and he was willing to grant him anything. This son is self-important. And has no love for his father or his brother. He goes on to say, this son of yours. Note, he does not say my brother. This one devoured your property. 
But that was not true. For the part he received was his inheritance. He could do with it as it pleased him. Verses 31 and 32. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I want you to note the tenderness the father uses with this older son. He called him son, which can also be translated my child. So it's a very tender greeting. He tells him, all that is mine is yours. He's standing by the division of the estate at the younger son's leaving. He is taking nothing away from this older son. He also does not let this son blackmail him into ending this celebration. He explains to him that this celebration has a very sound reason behind it. Your brother was dead and now is alive. And we celebrate such a glorious thing with a great celebration. It's interesting to note that Jesus does not tell us what happened between these two sons. He paints a picture to help us see what reflected in their lives. From that, we should be able to draw the proper lesson from this parable. What do you see as the proper lesson? It is clear that the Father represents the Heavenly Father, representing the Holy Triune God and all of his yearning love. The lost son is his penitent return Turn indicate in his penitent return indicates the penitent sinner. You can see them in the parable in the, in the publicans and sinners we find in Christ. And the older son clearly points to the self-righteous Pharisee and scribes. The central theme is as we said in the beginning, the father's yearning love for the lost. The Father seeks them, brings them back, and rejoices in their conversion. We must learn to do the same thing with uh, with others we see struggling and coming to repentance. My friends, there's nothing, nothing but the hardness of your own heart keeping you from joining in this celebration, and that is shown by this older brother. The message of the gospel is gone into the whole world. It is constantly calling to all men to hear and believe. If you will honestly look into your heart, you will see the darkness that lives there. If you will look out from yourself, there is a light. A light that comes into the world is to light up every heart. It is not an easy light to behold. For it will show you yourself and all of your sinfulness. If, if you will, as this young man in the parable did, examine your heart and admit its blackness, the Heavenly Father is waiting to receive you with a rich robe, a special ring, sandals for your peace, for your feet, and an eternal celebration. And then you will be able to declare, God in his tenderness found me still in sin, filled with misery. He rescued me by his strength, while all of heaven's hosts sang with joy, causing the whole of heaven to ring in celebration. What love has sought me. How precious the blood that bought me. How marvelous the grace that enfolds me. Oh, grace, wonderful grace, that has saved a sinner like me.
Let us pray. Grant, O Lord, to us this morning comfort from your word. We have looked into your word. We have heard your voice. We have taken your truth. And we have planted it in our hearts. Give us this day the strength and the courage to stand on what you have given us. Build us up in faith. Cause us to stand firm on all you have given us. You have told us that you are always before us. You stand at the door and knock. You promise that anyone who hears your voice and opens the door will come in and fellowship with them and they with you. Give us what we need to open that door, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.